Pittsburgh Current Podcast. It is a beautiful day here in the downtown Beachview Business District, as I like to say. I'm probably the only one who says that. Um, Pittsburgh Current, Charlie Deeds, Pittsburgh Current editor and publisher. Our new issue is out on the streets this week, focusing on the Love Pittsburgh Music Month initiative. Um, And if you don't know what that is, pick up our uh, paper or go to the website and you're going to see this this great sort of um, group effort that has gone into putting this together in an effort to call attention to and really highlight in July the live music scene here in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh Current is proud to have been among the first folks at the table when this initiative was developed. Uh, My partner, Bethany Rue, uh, is on the board of the initiative, and we're going to be bringing you lots of great stuff in July to celebrate. Um, You can also check out stories on Clareton Coke Works, uh, Pittsburgh Festival Opera, and a lot, lot more. Also, a quick reminder that the Pittsburgh Current is turning one year old next month, if you can believe it. I know that I can't. This show is almost a year old as well, which, again, is is a surprise. So we're having a free, if you register, uh, first birthday party that is also going to serve as an official venue for the Deutschtown Music Festival. It's July 12th. Like I said, it's free. Go to our Facebook page for registration details. And we definitely hope to see you on July 12th at the Flashlight Factory in the north side. So we've got a great show for you today. Um, This weekend, a 25th candidate entered the 2020 Democratic primary. That candidate is Joe Sestak, a retired admiral in the United States Navy, a former United States congressman, and a two-time U.S. Senate candidate. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie, very much. Great to be back. It it is, right? I mean, you've been, been, I mean, public service and, and being in the public eye has been something that you've been a lot since really since I mean you were two terms in Congress you were elected to two, 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 two terms in Congress you ran in two thousand eight um, in the in that Senate primary against Arlen Specter and won which we will talk about because um, that's also a proud moment in my career because I predicted that win one of the only uh, writers in the state who predicted that win um, looking <laughs> looking back at that but there was just something about that campaign that uh, that um, felt special to be honest and it re- it really was to beat an incumbent like like Arlen Specter at that time was really. And so that's why, that's why when I heard you were running for president, you know, when a lot of people, and again, we'll talk about the reactions, but I was like, you know, I think people should really probably at least listen to Joe before they start, you know, making assumptions. So that's why I'm glad you're here today to, to talk a little bit about it. Thank so, you. It's really great. And, you know, public service has been my life. Uh, it began when I joined the Navy. Um, I kind of learned, though, this approach to life from my parents. Uh, my father was an immigrant as a dreamer, really, with his parents and served throughout World War II and continued his naval career. My mom was a high school math teacher for 30 years, and that is truly service because I think education is our real homeland defense. So they taught me by living it, integrity's values, service to country, to others above self, and accountability and answering for oneself. And that's the essence of why I'm running. And, 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 you know, as I said, I, I first um, met Joe in 2008. And at that time, I, I have to tell you, and looking back on it, at that time, 
whereas now everyone kind of calls themselves a progressive. Back then, there weren't many of us calling ourselves progressive because that was seen as the out really far outside the fringe. Um, but you really, you really were um, in 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 the um, in the in the United States House of Representatives. You were a very progressive uh, uh, force in the in that chamber, and I assume th- those are values that haven't left you since since that time. Well, I come from a background of them. I mean, think about the United States Navy, mm-hmm. our U.S. military. Women have always had equal pay. You come on in and you have health care for your lifetime, and you stay twenty years. Your family is covered. Mm-hmm. Everybody has it. You come on in and you can't. When I left the Navy. We were had the policy just beginning that uh, it would have been enhanced that you couldn't be promoted to even senior chief petty officer as an enlisted unless you earned at least an associate's college degree. Our time, our our money, your time, and officers couldn't do it. Advanced unless they got at least a master's degree because we valued education. And then finally, come on in and serve our country and have a pension. So everybody in the military is a Democrat. Really, a progressive Democrat. They just don't realize. <laughs> You're right. They don't realize. And it, that's right. kind of how I approached my uh, uh, time to. It's good for the Navy because it made us a very effective military machine, but it's good for the nation because it makes us a very productive workforce. Right. And one, and one of the things, uh, while we're talking about uh, your time in the Navy, one of the things that um, you and I know we've talked about length over the years is um, the service of LGBTQ members uh, of, of LGBTQ individuals in the in the military. And you were when you at your your time in Congress, you were a huge um, force behind uh, getting "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" um, repealed. And that was something you were were you were were you still were you still in the House when that happened, or had you just left? Or I it was repealed right. while I was in the House. Um, the day it was it was passed when I was in the Navy, and I remember a one star admiral asked me, uh, or two star admiral asked me, what I thought about it the next day, and I said, "Oh, I think uh, the Supreme Court overrule is unconstitutional this year." Well, it didn't happen, but you know, you walk around in the United States Navy, everybody knew who was gay. It wasn't "Don't ask, don't right. tell." Everybody, and you know, the youth. You know, in 5,000 shows in aircraft carrier, the average age is 19 and a half. They didn't care. Right. And so finally we got that repeal because the reason is it's not just equality. It's also that we need them. We want the best of all demographics right. in the United States Navy. And that's why we're proud today to be able to have them be equal. But we got to work on the transgender issue now. Right. And and that's it, it's almost um, and that's. I'm sure something we'll talk about. Um, but that's um, we we really have seen since. 2016 we really have seen i mean that's one that's one that's one particular issue the, the issue of 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 trans individuals serving but but we really have regressed um in a lot of our sort of social issue on our, a lot of our social issues since uh, 2016 since the trump administration took over um i i would assume that, that that that's something that you found troubling the the issue uh or the the decision of, of by the president to um to exclude trans individuals from service of course. Again, we want the best of the best. And yeah. even I think General Mattis was taken aback by right. that. I mean, he finally had to work out through some policy. Look, I we have to understand that the military is probably one of the best melting pots. It, yeah, we've had a problem. We talk about African-Americans being given equality. It really did begin with Terry Truman's mandate back in the early 1950s that, you know, they should have equal rights in there. And I'm not saying we were perfect. What I am saying is we do it. 
because we also are better right. when you can get the best out of every demographic. So do we need to change it? You bet you we do. Absolutely. So Joe, as you, as you're, as you're, as you, you know, you've, I know you've, you know, as you're working, going through your, your, your everyday life, you sort of see this, um, you know, I mean, I, I'll ask you, of course, when you when you started thinking about running for president. But then, when you make your sort of final decision to jump in, and you're looking at this um, mob of candidates heading toward the 2020 primary. What made you decide to to jump in? When did you start thinking about it? And what, what sort of pushed you over the edge to say, "Okay, I've, I've got to do this," despite the situation right now? Well, what what I never had even. I would not even take advantage of an opportunity to do it until recently, mm-hmm. because about a year ago, my daughter, who you know, when she was four years old, was struck with malignant brain cancer yes. and given only a few months to live. And she, as a warrior, yeah. <laughs> better, stronger than I, beat that demon. So I came out of the military, changed from being a Democrat, became a Republican, and won in a nearly two-to-one Republican district. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the slogan, I'm a former Navy admiral. And I'm running on national security that begins at home and health security. Mm-hmm. That's what drove me. Well, when it came this time, and she has beaten it, came back last year. Oh, no. uh, that's what we focused on. But that little warrior, a second time, beat the single-digit odds. Wow. Single-digit. And not until she was in a safe harbor would I even think about that I could step out. Some may say, well, that's not a good... Um, a hand of cards. No, it's a great hand of cards. Right. She was saved again because of the wonderful health care plan that we have had because of our being in the military. And again, we have to fix the Affordable Care Act and move beyond with mm-hmm. public option and all. But as she was going through this, again, I was driven as I was the first time with, I owe this nation. So as I began to think about it and the defining challenges of our time, to where we're retreating from the world and we're telling our bruised allies left behind, it's a wrap. But yet, even if you pass the Green New Deal in 10 years and execute it, it won't matter. Right. Because it's all of the world doing it or nothing, because that's only 15% of the required reduction in greenhouse emissions. So we need to restore our leadership to this liberal, rules based world order that those who came home from World War II and swore we'd never fight another world war mm-hmm. after fighting two in 26 years. And we won the third world war, the Cold War, without a shot. We need that protective umbrella to be restored with U.S. leadership so that we can deal with the most catastrophic threat to mankind, climate change. Right. I have been blessed by the investment of this nation with the depth and breadth of global experience working for the President Clinton in the White House to coordinate the national security strategy that has to do with our economy, diplomacy, power of our ideals, and our military, and understanding the limitations of the military. It's a military stop problem. We never fix a problem. If we fixed Iran with diplomacy right. back in 2015 and removed the reserves. Now we're back to, we broke our word. What do you mean we broke our word? Now we're about on the cusp of strikes. We're not going to fix it with our military. So the issue here is that because of the investment, this nation put in me. I think that at this time with the world changing, a liberal world order of injustice, China, of might makes right is its values, someone like this is most needed to protect our American dream at home. And someone finally who is accountable to people above party, 
as I ran against Arlen Specter, despite my party supporting him, mm-hmm. as you brought up at the beginning. Yeah. Because how could you accept somebody who had humiliated Anita Hill and permitted to do so? Right. And it came at a cost. I think this nation most yearns for someone who's accountable to them above anything else. And having demonstrated that, I want to bring that right. to the presidency of the United States for the good of America. Joe, when you when you when you look at that field, though, when you when you look at a field of uh, and and forget the let's not talk we'll talk a minute about the individuals, but when you when you you come in you come in with your message, um, was is there a worry um, that you know how are you going to be able to step out in front and and get your message heard just from a pure number standpoint? Um, as you know, we're going into two nights of debate starting I think tomorrow night, correct? And um, so, I mean, it's this is going to be this is going to be a long process um, as candidates come and go. So, coming in late or coming in at all, are, were, were, how how do you think you're going to be able to to get out in front and have people listen to your message? You know, as you're coming into this late and into such a large crowd, the same way that you saw us, despite Governor Rendell saying on television, I was going to get killed. That we beat Senator Specter, where we began with 40 points down and 3% name recognition among likely Democratic voters. It was hard work. I mean, that's what life often is about. And so what I'm doing right now with you, going to the, my 11th through my 11th interview today, <laughs> getting the word out, yeah. and then going to Democratic events tonight, and then also going to Rotary Clubs and Lion Clubs, where Americans are. To spread the word. That's what it's going to be. I mean, I think it was Mark Train that said, you know, sometimes genius is just kind of cloaked, as, but it's really hard work. There is no other way. Yes, we have to raise funds. Yes, we must do very good in social media. All those are important, but it is going to be that somehow people will begin listening to this message if it's out there enough and say, as someone said last night, who came out as I was standing having just left a Democratic county meeting. And she came over and said, you had us open-mouthed at the end. We had never looked at the issues of Iran or climate change from such a viewpoint. I'll support you. And I have to do that. Not one by one. I understand that. But groups by groups, and then eventually hundreds and thousands. But, you know, isn't that the same challenges anybody has faced from Jimmy Carter to others. You know what I mean? You got to do it that way. So can you, do you think, do you think the strategy that, that you would, and granted it's a larger scale, but a strategy that you use when you ran for Congress and then when you run for Senate, it's just, I guess the platforms are bigger, but are you still sort of doing, because when you ran for Senate the second time, you started off by walking across the state of Pennsylvania. You wrote a book um, about those experiences and who the people you met. Um, Is it, is it, is it, is it a similar kind of just meet the people only on a much larger scale, I guess. So you're, you're not worried about the scope or scale of a presidential candidacy. The objective is the same, to mm-hmm. do the same effort of meeting the people. But the means is much more applicable to different venues than before. Social media isn't quite back then what it is today, for example, mm-hmm. to where all of a sudden you are able, with the right short message, touch so many. But yet that doesn't mean, and I think this is harmed, our approach to politics, that I just do it on a short tweet. If you go on our website, www.josestack.com, you will find five videos. The introductory video isn't, I know, I got it. It isn't that 
short, sweet three <laughs> minute video that sounds good because someone prepared your words. Right. About 10 to 12 minutes that summarizes why I'm running and the major issues and then goes to four other videos about Joe, restoring U.S. global leadership, accountability to Americans and policies. And you know, maybe it'll take you 35 minutes, but don't people watch the debate next night mm-hmm. to, you know, for the long time? I honestly believe that I look at this a challenge of ours, even climate change, as I said, different than others, not better, just through a different prism that right. if we don't restore the world in liberal world order under our leadership, we can't protect our dream at home because China, not just that it now commands the Western Pacific, the first loss of command of the seas since World War II, which our commander-in-chief out there in the Pacific has said, it's not that. It is that they are actually being able to have a new type, as the Prime Minister of Malaysia said, colonialism, where they make nations cede their sovereignty because they've forced predatory loans on them. And now they can't pay them, so... Now it has its first overseas port, China does, in Africa, because Djibouti couldn't afford to pay, and it gave them a naval port for free. This is a different world we have today, and we do need someone to work on issues like making sure health care for everyone, education, and all that. But if we don't also protect us, that means our way of life becomes contracted because we no longer have individual and fair uh, individual human rights open and fair markets and free and just governments as the basis of the world system is that one of the things joe that that you felt when you look at this group of candidates that you felt you could bring to the table that they don't that they don't and again you you have that different view on a lot of these issues than some folks a different way of looking at things um but is 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 how you will uh, how you will your experience number one in 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 foreign policy and then um your ability um to um is that something you think you bring to the table that they don't the experience um of being of being in the military and having that um you know that sort of lens to look through to really kind of is that where you plan is climate or things like climate change and and foreign policy is that where you look to separate yourself from the pack to your original yep. proposition here about do I think that I bring something in depth and breadth of global experience to face the to best face the most defining challenges that we will face like climate change and others for far too long we have not had candidates like that think about it think about those individuals Democrats and Republicans alike who voted for that reckless war in Iraq mm-hmm. think. That then metastasized after turning Sunni against Shia into ISIS. We created it as it metastasized throughout the world. We are paying for that. And yet no one has said, I'm accountable for having made that decision. That gets to the second issue, that so few people today in government are willing to be accountable for oneself. Look, I represented nearly two to one Republican district, and I got reelected without spending a dime. And yet, I voted for all those progressive uh, policies without a dime for a dime on any campaign ad in my second election, won by twenty points, because I really felt that I didn't just want to win; I wanted to govern. And so, therefore, I ensured that they understood where I stood. But after listening to them. 
and explained to them and went to them and explained. And that's what we need in America today. Someone who has demonstrated accountability and understand and, and has an understanding of how both Democrats and Republicans can like, might become united again, even though we can disagree, but disagree well so that we can face those challenges of climate change, but also restructure those policies at home, which you have said at the beginning of this, I stood firm at when so few were doing with Iran on a a national security for healthcare for everybody. You know, and so what I want to do then is with that trust of the people, restructure those domestic policies that corporations have for far too long benefited that have only meant inequity for the people of the United States of America. One of the um, and yes, I do believe that uh, my background has demonstrated, right. not just talked about, but from accountability to the ability to understand the world and to help us, and we can best use our approach to it to protect us from damage, and standing up firm. For example, for gun laws, I have an F in a two-to-one Republican district. Almost I get an F on, uh, on, on gun laws, but they reelect me by twenty points. But being able then show the people they need to be changed, and here's why these laws on guns are not appropriate. Thanks, Joe. And uh, we'll be get back to our conversation with Joe Sestak, 2020 presidential candidate, after these words from Compassionate Certification Centers. Oxycontin, Vicodin, Neurotin, pills. Are you sick of chronic pain and all that goes with it? You are eligible for your medical marijuana card. How do you get your card without the hassle? Compassionate Certification Centers for your medical marijuana card or CBD. Visit cccregister.com. That's cccregister.com or call 888-316-9085 today. Compassionate Certification Centers can help you get your medical marijuana card and connect you with certified doctors that can answer all your questions. Call 888-316-9085 or visit cccregister.com today. To finish up on, on your, your entering this Democratic candidate, I, I, want, I want to get back to Iran, um, but um, I, I want to let you in on a secret that you might not be aware of. Um, Joe, you're a white man. And um, that's, one of the, that's one of the things that a lot of people have said when you entered the race is, oh, here comes another, another white guy uh, of a certain age entering this race. And there's a concern, I guess, that, well, how are we going to – and I've, you know, I've seen – not a concern. I've seen these stories where people are asking, you know, oh, just what we need, another, another, another white man telling us you know, that he's the best candidate for this reason, that reason, et cetera. Um, what, do you, what do you say to that? What do you say to the people who are – you know, uh, either, either voters or, or, you know, there've been, there's been, you know, the story, again, the stories I've read since you jumped in the race are, you know, they're kind of lumping you in with guys like Joe Biden and, and others. So wh- how do you, how do you respond to that? And how, how will you respond to that when people ask you about that? Well, I have a different approach to sure. accountability than some of the people you mentioned. For example, some of them voted and deregulated in their way their votes to dismantle the one place in America. We definitely need a wall, but they tore that down by their deregulation. And so then that wall should have kept greed out and accountability in. And so when they took it down, the inaptly named Wall Street was left unfettered to ruin my constituency's right. lives later. Right. Where's the accountability? So what I do bring in is that, no, I respect people who have the point of view that you said. Look, I supported Mrs. Clinton. Yeah, I fought for Secretary Clinton. Right, uh, and and I, they people then told her to get out of the race at the end. I said I went on television. So wait a minute, you waited too long. That a woman should be there. Why should be told to get out? But I also know this: that 
we have to heal our nation's soul if we are to move our nation forward. And I think, no matter how I was born, but that nation invested in me, those elements of integrity in terms of what the values of integrity really are, accountability in answering for oneself, no matter the cost, in standing for people, and second, service to others and people's self. And when in that global experience, I think, been demonstrated in what we sorely need today, I think it would be wrong if I felt that strongly. Right. And I felt that I could offer that and pay and return the the investment on the dividend not to be in, with all due respect. But I but I understand it. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I, I I don't dismiss anybody who said what they said. But at the same time, if I honestly felt that all that was there in one candidate, I would understand it. Don't get me wrong; some of those candidates have actually been better to mine in certain areas. Sure, but I think what the nation most needs is to gain trust. In our government, right. how many knows are counted them to be protected by a president who actually has the breadth and depth to approach the world and its problems without all of a sudden having an issue where the world is changing and then somebody votes and moves us into a war in Iraq. Right. Look, it's challenging. You better know how a war is going to end before you decide if it's going to be wise to begin. Right. And if you do, who right. knew what Sunni was and a Shia was when they voted? Right. And third. I honestly believe I've demonstrated with a 100% voting record on NARAL, by NARAL right. and now, and Planned Parenthood. Right. No, sometimes, I don't mean this in the way it's going to come across, but, you know, I used to say I'd rather have a spouse of a veteran in Congress than a vet because that spouse, we used to say on the shopping bags in the commissary, Navy spouse toughest job in the Navy because <laughs> they bear the real burden Yeah, because the, the autism rate was twice as high back then in, in, in the military because everyone's leaving and coming and going and those that need a 504 plan or whatever never get the care needed. And when that gentleman or that gentlewoman's away in the war, back home, they're dealing with the issues that, sick, that if you stay in 20 years or career, by the time your children get to high school, 60% are functionally dissociated from their high school because their parents are gone all. And so they understand what's needed to take care of their family when that's a vet. And so I, and I honestly believe, having walked and worked with my sisters, I will ensure that those issues that have done inequity to women will be addressed extraordinarily well. This is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. You are here with editor and publisher Charlie Deach, and we're talking to 2020 presidential Democratic uh, primary presidential candidate, Joe Sestak. And, um, Joe, you, you mentioned, you mentioned family and you talked about, um, the, 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 the as you said, uh, naval wives, they, they, they had the hardest job. Um, are, are you prepared for, for what's going to become potentially a, especially as this progresses? And if you, uh, the longer you stay in the race, obviously, um, is, are, are, are you worried or do you, do you, especially for your, especially for your family, do you have a concern about the intense scrutiny that's going to be on, 
on your family. I remember when you, when you ran for Senate, um, there, there wasn't a lot to make hay with, but some people questioned some of your decisions when it came to staff treatment and election staff pay and so forth. They were, you know, felt you weren't paying a good wage and, you know, they, they, they definitely came at you for something like that. And that's something I assume that will come up, come up again, but are, are you ready for the, for the intense scrutiny that's, that's going to come now on, on your personal life and on your, on your, on your work life and your family and so forth? It's a good question, but the reality of the issue is it's hard to believe that having gone through my own party, mm-hmm. having thrown millions of dollars, well over $6 million against me in false ads, right. where they actually, the Washington Post said, what a sleazy way to win by my opponent. Because the Democratic leadership in Washington, D.C. actually falsely put up an ad, the Washington Post said, where they actually in it said Joe Sestak and Social Security, he didn't support it when they said, wait a minute, in his book, he shows how to fix it, why Social Security without cutting any benefits. But the ad, the ad, if I remember correctly, did quote a vote right. of a Republican congressman two years after I had left Congress. <laughs> Right. And so, look, I, I understand it, but that's why I'm running. Yeah. I'm running because I believe that our government is not trusted. I mean, who would trust somebody like that who does that? You did it to win. I don't want to win only. I want to, I really do want to govern. And that's what the Har Hobson's choice as a nation is, and Democrats, not just to win this Democratic, this presidential race, but to heal our nation's soul. And yes, I understand people throw stuff at me, but I never put my temperament at all beyond my expectations of moving America to a better level. Look, I was in that office and I watched those congressmen and senators who had voted over time to dismantle the safeguards and remove uh, the oversight of Wall Street and the result was we handled four times the constituency cases of the average congressional office. As ABC did their piece on us, we saved over 800 homes from foreclosures, but we worked seven days a week, late at night. We had to. Now, I finally got 50 interns to help rotate us through, but what do you do when you're in a war of livelihoods and they walk in and say, can you help save my home? But the issue was that I felt we had no decision but to work hard. Much like you asked me, how are you going to win this race? And so... Look, America, to quote John F. Kennedy, the hour is late, but the agenda is long. And if we don't have the right president this time, if we have someone who just wins and then uh, repeals all the executive orders of the president and puts in their own because they can't get anything legislation, then the next president's going to do the same thing. We have to move forward. We must progress. And I showed that in a two to one Republican district when I got reelected. It was called the most productive congressman my first year of my class and got reelected without spending a dime in a nearly two to one Republican district. Right. So you, as someone, as someone who's been in public service, a uh, majority of your life, what, 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 what went through your mind? Um, and we'll, we'll talk about, um, some of the things that have come since, but what went through your mind in 2016 when you, maybe not even then, but then once Donald Trump takes office, um, what, what what did you make of that whole situation, and what is your sort of take on when he took office? When, when, when he, he took, took office, office, when he with the fact that he won, and then the fact that you know what he's done since he came into office. Talk to me a little bit about your 
assessment of of Donald Trump um, and 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 sort of how we you know how you um, how you, how you plan to sort of counteract it, especially you know he he has a base and so how do you how do you get back at those um, how do you get back those folks that voted for Trump even you know, especially the Democrats that voted for Trump the women who voted for Trump um, who are maybe having second thoughts now how do you win them back Yeah, it's a wonderful question. But it comes back. But my answer comes back from my experience after having not won the 2016 election in the primary of going back to every one of the 67 counties of Pennsylvania to say thank you. Mm-hmm. In my very first place I went, it was in Scranton. A woman got up after I thanked everybody and said, you know, Joe, I supported you. But there's members in my family who have voted Democrat their entire life, and they are not going to vote for anyone but Trump. I knew she was talking about herself. Right. I don't, I don't, Trump, (laughs) the president is not the problem. He is the symptom of the problem, of the lack of trust that people have because for far too long from that tragic war in Iraq to the meltdown of Wall Street, nobody has been willing to be accountable to the people for what they did or didn't do. And it's like a Navy ship. We relieved a captain for cause. If harm comes to the crew or the ship, because if the crew ever believes a captain is beyond accountability, they will no longer trust them. And once the crew loses trust, an orderly ship disintegrates as the United States ship of state has begun to do into chaos, into disorder. That's the issue. It's what is it that we were unable to earn the trust of Americans? So when you come out and because I said no, to a very senior senator when he said as I was walking across the state because I knew that people would know, did I know them, stop fundraising. I mean, stop walking and you fundraise. I said, no. Right. Sir, with all due respect, he said, well, then you only just say, say yes to what I say. But I kept walking and I agreed with the Republicans' comments when he said, Admiral, I love what you're doing and I'm a Republican. We have to understand that you can fight for these policies, but unless you unite America Sunday, you can't get them through. Right. And that's what we have to do. And so I look at this issue of Trump as, oh my gosh, I said, look, look at the, how, un- this is unforgivable. Right. But the administration broke its word, the word of the United States of America on the Iranian Accord, for example, just one example, right. where the, with it, where it was our diplomacy that disarmed, not having to use our military, and now we may have to. Because of that tragic mistake. And so, yes, I do disagree. But understand, to heal what caused it, because that woman in Scranton spoke up about it, is they wanted trust and accountability in those who lead. And when you're spending millions of dollars that you've raised for Democrats just because someone said no to you, you know, it's a small little example. But it begins to say, wait a minute, are they really listening to us? Right. Do you, um, so how do you, when you, <clears throat> so obviously, I mean, th- there were people and, and there were, in fact, at the, at the midterms, I know for a fact there were some, there were some candidates um, that ran for congressional seats and some other seats who um, were working in Trump heavy, where the vote was a very Trump heavy uh, voter count in those districts. Um, they didn't talk about Donald Trump. They, they tried to talk about, they tried to take it locally. Um, and, and for some, um, at, well, I'm not going to be around for Connor Lamb, for example, it, it worked. And, 
people saw um, something different in Connor Lamb, and um, they, they 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 voted for him. But he was a guy who who didn't wasn't necessarily taking on Trump. He was taking on local issues. But in this election, it's very much going to be. Um, about and I see I understand what you're saying, but it's very much going to be about Donald Trump. I think in terms of the things he's done, and and again, you talked about the other day. I joked and I said, "Oh, wouldn't it have been nice if we could have done something years ago about this Iran problem? We wouldn't be on the brink of war now." And of course, it's you know we we have an administration who undid that, an administration who not only pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, but has just done everything possible to try and um, roll back every sort of environmental protection that we have at this point. You know, they, they, they took away the, the as you said, they, they took away the Wall Street protections, those, you know, very, very much needed laws that came in after the Enron scandal. And then after, after, um, then, you know, many years, a few years later, when, when, when the second round of catastrophe hit. Um, but so a lot you're going to have to probably directly take on the president on these things. And I understand what you're saying about he's a symptom of a problem, but are you worried about how that's going to play with a play with some of his base voters? Uh, the fact that you're going to have to well, vote at him. It's a very it's a very good question, but two part answer yeah. is in the very first one. I'm not going to hesitate as I did with Iran, yeah, or you did well with Parastry to point out as I did with Pat Toomey when I ran against him to point out. You know, Pat, that's not the right approach. All right, look at the harm we're having due to America and the world by withdrawing the power stream. Look what's about to happen out there because we did not ex- uh, stay with our nuclear agreement. I don't want to hesitate to say those. Right. But I also know this, that in the year of the president's saying as a candidate, we must drain the swamp. Right. That I have to be able to show them, show them mm-hmm. that the man that, yes, you want to drain the swamp, but I think they feel uneasy. I know they do here in Iowa. Right. With a, you know, the ability to sell soy, it just, just plummeted. Right. And all of a sudden you say, wait a moment. Um, maybe you really do want to still drain the swamp. Because when 450 senators and congressmen since 1998 have actually taken a lobbying job, mm-hmm. and I got offered them, I got sure. offered, uh, but and they took them, and their revenues increased 400 percent as your soybean prices are dry plummeting. They've gone up all these 20 years 400 percent, and the medium level income of working families has flatlined. I said, maybe you want somebody who actually turned down that and oddly demonstrated, not just said the words like the candidate of the Republican Party, Mr. Right. Trump said, but actually demonstrated he did on his own, did not take card of that draining of the swamp, stood up when Comcast, and I wouldn't sign the letter for the merger between them and NBC, right. never got any more funding from them because, you know, all that stuff back in the day. Because I knew that was not going to give faster speeds and lower cost to people. And the ability to stand up into those parties to say the Republicans that when they're wrong, like they were with Anita Hill, that of of voting, of accepting someone who humiliated her, look, you're looking for that because the issue is to go to the source of the problem and get them to vote because many of them haven't been shown 
that, wait a minute, I mean, are they still taking these lobbying jobs? Right. I mean, you know, aren't the special interests, wait a minute, didn't we just, uh, I mean, has anybody changed the tax code down there? Okay, we, we say we do, but we haven't. Right. But to show that somebody actually is willing to actually do, you know, take on accountability, I think that's the right way to say to those people, hey, let me tell you, you just needed someone who would really do it. Right. It, it's kind of like um, if you want to if you want to say he drained the swamp, he took out the alligators and filled it with the crocodiles. I mean, there's there's it's just, <laughs> you're just switching beasts. You're not really doing anything to to fix the matter. Um, and we are this is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast, and we are wrapping up here with 2020 Democratic Congressional or I'm sorry, presidential candidate Joe Sestak. Um, Joe, as um as as we end here, talk a little bit about uh, you're, you're you're in Iowa. Talk a little bit about um as you're, as you're meeting people, um, and is that, is that, is that your first goal? Is your first goal to meet people and not necessarily fundraise, even though obviously fundraising is going to be a huge part of this, but is, 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 is that your focus as you start out this race? Well, initially in these, this, you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and it's to do these interviews because I want to make sure people are aware as much as possible here and abroad in the great America, the everywhere, uh, that, Hey, you have somebody here who brings something a little different to the table. I, I, I'm not, I am not saying that other people don't bring attributes at mm-hmm. all. What I am saying that for the specific challenges we face today, these is really, I believe, what we can best have this person best face them. And so I needed to do that. But yes, I'll have to fundraise, just like others. Take no money from corporations. Never got any anyway. Right. You know, in my last two races. <laughs> um but, yeah, I don't think they'll know, be beating down the door. Just, no. And, uh, you know, I mean, not when you stood as the only person, I think, in Pennsylvania was elected official or had been for a moratorium on fracking. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, you don't get exactly stuff. I mean, so, I mean, I took those stands. And yet, even in that election, my district reelected me when just as it would have reelected. I got the majority in the, you know, the mm-hmm. primary in the previous years and the general against Toomey. But my take is that um, you got to do it all. And I can't miss this opportunity to go around Iowa when others aren't here. Right. Because it does get a little crowded when there's 20 something. <laughs> right. So this is a, this is a pretty good time. Yeah. If you had to look at it that way. Look, I, I it's the timing was one that I would have earlier, but daughters, sure. my God. I mean, she's first, and uh, yeah. and of course, my, as I tell people, my folks' favorite title is dad, not admiral, not congressman. Right, right, and I think I think definitely, um, we thinking of uh, thinking of your daughter. I, I know again when when. She, she, I mean, she was, she was the reason you sort of got into a lot of this politics to begin with, because it was, you know, you thought that everyone, right, everyone in Pennsylvania should have the same health care, um, you know, the same access to health care oh, really? that, that your daughter had, and so that was, that was kind, of, that was kind of the beginnings, and um, it's, it's interesting that it's, I mean, it's very unfortunate, unfortunately, that 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 the cancer had returned, but it's, it's. It's just kind of you have to start thinking a little bit about, uh, I guess, um, kismet when you think about the fact that, you know, here you are again, these things happen. And um, now you're, you know, it's, it, it's kind of spurred you on again to get back into this. You, you're, as, you're exactly right. I, I ran really just on health care initially. Yeah. And then, of course, I got asked about the war and education. And I expanded it. But that's what I ran on. Everybody should have what we had in the military is my payback. Because I watched a young child and his parents meeting with social workers 
who was my daughter's roommate in a very crowded room as she began her chemotherapy. And they were working there to ensure they might be possible to stay because he, diagnosed with leukemia, had no health care plan or his parents didn't. I never forgot that. As bad as it was for us, at least we had a chance with a health care plan. National security begins at home. And that's why I want to make Americans secure at home with education, for example, of training for a lifetime. My gosh, think about it. A coal miner is losing his job or her job. It's unlike in the military. When someone loses their job there because the F-16 plane is obsolete and the F-22 comes in, but coal mines now become obsolete right. and we want, and green energy is the way, well, we spend the least, almost nothing on labor training in America, the least of any developed nation. But in the military, we take that man or woman, mm-hmm. say, hey, you're going to the largest community college in the world in the year, and that's the United States Air Force's community college. You're going to take six to eight months, and you're going to learn your new skill. And it's our cost, but we're going to give you training for a lifetime. You come in, you've learned something and run a radar on a ship, and after your first reenlistment, you then learn the combat systems. And soon you learn the whole ship's computer systems. By the time you depart, you've had training for a lifetime. That's like one example of how I want to restructure our education, our homeland defenses, our education, mm-hmm. our training. Yes, we have to do better at student loans, and I have two great recommendations on there of how to lower costs. But you know what? Let's not forget the working family. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure in a world that's rapidly changing every day that all of a sudden they lose jobs. Hey, there's training. I never forget, if I might, Charlie, mm-hmm. after I won my first race, I, I rode around with the uh, Postal Service when they go and gather canned foods once yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. And it was during the election, and I saw the food pantry, and I went back to it about two weeks after I won, before I was sworn as congressman, to see who. I mean, I've been in the Navy. We don't have homeless when you're active. So I went in to see who were these individuals. You know what they who they were? They were, as a gentleman came in in a coat and tie, and said, well, he says, I have a job, but it's not enough pain, and I come in here for the last two days of every two-weeks pay period. Yeah. Another gentleman, which most struck me, was, he said, look, I used to have a job. And I got laid off. I don't have any skills for anything, and I can't afford to go learn any more skills. Nice. But my gosh, we lose productivity because of that. But so that's why I've proposed this concept, this plan, this national commitment, along with the National Apprenticeship Program for training for a lifetime. That you learn that from a TIG welder to a MIG welder if they need new types of welders. And that coal miner, yes, we have to move away from it for environment, for climate change. But he has the opportunity to learn the skill and apply for that job and because, by gosh, we create six jobs on average for any type of alternative and green energy where a fossil fuel and coal, if you looked at them both, are only 1.5 jobs for every million put in, but six jobs and for manufacturing. How can we not be training right. for that? Right. And the thing is, it's it's much easier to make something like that a political football and not tell the miner we need to retrain you. It's that, oh, we're going to bring your coal jobs back, even when you know there's not a chance and not at a all chance. that, that the there's coal jobs. Alone is, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Joe Sestak, good luck, sir. I don't, uh, I don't envy you, but uh, I, I know that uh, I know that certainly you're you're a person that when you jump into something, you stay committed to it. So good luck to you through this whole thing, and we uh, um, hopefully we can have you back and we can check in along the way. 
Thank you very much. And Charlie, thank you. Personally, it's good to talk with you again. And professionally, thanks for this opportunity to speak with Americans. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Take care, Charlie. And this has been the Pittsburgh Current Podcast with presidential candidate Joe Sestak. Check out the Pittsburgh Current on the streets this week. Our, um, it's, it's, we're getting there. It's been a year now. We're getting there. Um, <laughs> check out our Love Pittsburgh Music Month issue. Um, go to our Facebook page. Check it out. Come to our birthday party. We look forward to seeing you there. And um, have a great week. And we will see you next time. A better alternative Giving Pittsburgh A better alternative Giving Pittsburgh A better alternative This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.